listening to a Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. We hope that this podcast will provide messages of hope and resilience to those in the myeloma community and beyond. Today, we're talking to Jamika Barrett, a myeloma patient who has helped lead the Southside Myeloma Support Group in Atlanta and has been an advocate for herself and for others in the myeloma community for many years. To begin, Jamika, I understand you were diagnosed with myeloma at the age of 26. Being so young when you were diagnosed, how did that affect your personal relationships and career development? Because the fact that multi-myeloma affects your bone system, um, me personally, I experienced in an IT field and I was in installation, maintenance and training. So part of my job every day was picking up big systems and installing and crawling under, you know, pipe spaces and, and things of that nature. And so when I was impacted with this disease, and because my bones were now fragile, I had limitations in things that I could carry and weight and how I could move that literally impacted my career path. Uh, it's such a significant way because this was my passion. This was something that I fully enjoyed doing each and every day. It was shocking for my family members and friends. So they surrounded me. So much of love. So it actually brought a lot of relationships a lot closer um, because of the support. I spent a couple of months in and out of the hospital, um, was able to handle a lot of my own affairs. And so that really drew me, especially to my family, but also my friends, my spiritual community, church members really brought us together. It did have a negative effect in my personal life as far as relationship. I was um, married at the time. So it did have a, a negative impact on that particular relationship. But because of the love of my family members and my friends and all of that, I was able to get through it. It, it really was um, such a great experience in that regard. And when you were diagnosed, how did they stage the disease at the time that you were diagnosed at 26? One scan. Um, as I mentioned, I uh, had many hospitalizations. Um, my kidneys failed at a certain point. I had to be hospitalized for a couple of weeks for that. My kidneys back up and functioning in and out. Doctor's appointments. I thought I had a virus. And I went to an appointment at a community clinic in uh, East Point, Georgia. And the doctor, I think, looked at my lab and he was alarmed immediately, so I found myself in an ambulance heading to Grady Memorial Hospital um, into their ER. And I think once they received my documents from the previous hospital that I was admitted into, they looked and saw the testing that they had done, and they said, we need to do a PET scan. And when they did the PET scan, they saw the diagnosis of multiple myeloma, and what's so strange is even at that time, uh, because of my age, the paperwork literally says we see multiple myeloma, but because of her age, it argues against this diagnosis that we actually see, but they were able to stage me um, through that scan. And after you were diagnosed, what treatment regimen did you begin then? So it was a bad treatment, uh, which is a combination of three different drugs. I had to be admitted to the hospital for three days. I, I'd be constant IV regimen of uh, administering the drugs into my system. Um, and then after that, uh, they prepared me for a stem cell transplant. Um, and this was very quick. I was diagnosed in uh, December of 03. And by June of 04, I was being prepped 
for the stem cell transplant. Wow, that's a quick turnaround and it must have been very hard on you to prepare for that mentally. Where are you today with your treatment? Are you in maintenance or remission or uh, what kind of treatment are you undergoing today? If any. I'm very blessed to say that I am in remission and I have been in remission since 2000 and about 2005, I'd say, because I had the stem cell in 2004. From there, you know, you uh, go through the normal regimen of follow up and testing. And um, I really went into remission and they give you about a year, you know, before they say, okay, this looks like you're going to stay in this for a while. And so since 2005, I have been in remission and I've been blessed that I have not needed any additional maintenance drugs outside of that period, uh, which I was on thalidomide, which is the most used, commonly used medication during that period of time uh, with myeloma. But after I ended that regimen with thalidomide, I haven't had the need of any other maintenance drugs. That's wonderful to hear. And you've been very involved with the International Myeloma Foundation. Just curious, how did you first come in contact with this organization? Great medical team support. Uh, when I was at Grady and they finally did present me with a diagnosis of multiple myeloma, the team came in with a folder filled with information on multiple myeloma disease itself. And in that folder was information on International Myeloma Foundation as well. It talked about a support group and some other information about multiple myeloma. And so I sparked my interest immediately because I'm so young, I didn't um, have any clue about this disease. No one in my family had heard of this disease. And so that was my gateway to find out about this disease that I had been diagnosed with. So I contacted them immediately for more information. And over the years, you've been so involved with the myeloma community for the IMF itself. You've been a member fundraiser. You've participated in advocacy for legislation that affects myeloma patients. I understand you also help lead a support group in the Southside Atlanta area. And you continue patient and survivor support in many ways. What drives you to give back to the myeloma community in this way? Without the myeloma community's role in my personal recovery process, I believe that I seriously would have either experienced a mental breakdown or I would have just become a very negative and bitter person. And so the fact that all of the people that I've met, all of the information that I've been provided with, all the resources that I have been provided with through the myeloma community, that drives me to be in be able to offer that to someone else. Honestly, all the people that I have met have been so inspiring. I attend like a conference or any event that's within the Myeloma community and being able to just talk to people from various cultures and economical and social backgrounds and just have this common shared experience with the disease within journeys in life in general of just surviving the disease drives me as well. And I would say that I was a patient that really soaked up a lot of information about my own. Like I didn't dive into knowing labs and definition and treatments and, you know, that kind of thing in my particular journey. But being involved in these things have kept me informed. And it has kept me being able to have those conversations with other people in an informed way. And so that drives me as well because it kind of is my pathway to education as well. And I think more importantly, it's just so important to give back 
And there's a song that I love, a certain song I love to listen to that says, I need you and you need me. And so for me, it, it, that drives me as well because I get to depend on other people. Then I also, I feel like I'm allowing other people to be depend on me as well. For other patients who may be a little reluctant to get involved, let's focus on support groups. What would you say to someone who might be reluctant to come to a support group meeting? What would you say are some of the benefits of participating? That multicultural and multi-generational groups of people gathering together allows so much knowledge and information and again, encouragement and inspiration to flow through each other. Because people need to hear, see, and understand different perspectives, you get so much benefit from what you hear, see, and understand in a support group. There's empowerment. I think everyone gets that when they come to a support group of just being included. A lot of times you can feel so alone and isolated with a terminal illness diagnosis and a support group can help you. There are some people who may not have family and friends in a particular city or state because they move for various reasons or jobs. So it can also benefit you of having that camaraderie of uh, others that you can rely on and talk with as well. Mama, Diagnosis is such a hard disease and journey to go through. Bone pain is no joke. And also dealing with all the side effects as well is a lot. So you can gain a lot of knowledge on different things that you can do to help you with those side effects and diseases that maybe you're medical professional may not share with you because they're not familiar with it or again they're not the patient haven't experienced it so you can also gain so much information from those who are actually experiencing the things that you're experiencing i also think about the fact that i survived so much with people that i've met through the support group and i think about people who I have talked with that I've never met before just because of a, a phone call or a conference that has been virtual or uh, people that I have met once through a conference and then we continue to talk in different cities and states. And so you also have the opportunity to have an extension of what you typically think of a support group, meaning that this is a place that we meet every month or every couple of months, there can be different ways that you can view a support group. I've had a support group that has been just through a phone call of people with different cities and states. And been able to talk to people that don't know my family members or my friends, and I can have different conversations that I know. How can I say this? That I know I don't have to worry about that judgment. Uh, later on, or someone bringing it back up later on, has also been beneficial. And I think people can greatly benefit from that as well. And you were diagnosed such a young age, 26, and now you're a long-term survivor. What would you say to someone who was also as young being diagnosed with myeloma? What kind of message would you give them to give them some hope? To be open to the impact that it will have on the goals the dreams and the vision that you have for yourself. As a young person, the first thing that you have to be conscious of is being patient with that impact and that change. So I will share with them that your outlook, being aware of the emotional toll of that is very vital 
for not only just your survivorship of the disease, but just your survivorship of life in general. But I also would say that it's an opportunity to rediscover and to develop who you identified yourself as. Rely on your family and friends. A lot of young people are independent. Young adults have already carved their life out. And they're not accustomed to being going back and saying, I need help or have to have somebody's help. So I recommend and always suggest that you be patient and kind with yourself because you're going to need a lot of help. You're going to need a lot of support to get through the appointments and the treatment, especially if you decide to do something like I did, which was a stem cell transplant, where I had to have a caregiver for 24 hours. That was a requirement before I went underwent the procedure. And so you have to release a lot of that independency that you developed, but also be very concerned with how you're managing your mental health as well. Because again, it is such a hard disease to deal with and it comes with a lot of baggage. So I just recommend that they be open to, if it's not family, friends that they can talk with, a, a professional that they can talk with to kind of help them to get through each challenge and phase of the disease. Sounds like patience, self-compassion, support, all of those play a great deal in your myeloma journey and, and it's good advice for other patients as well. One final question I have for you is, is the IMF recently started the Empower Initiative, which is actually partly in Atlanta, and it's dedicated to removing barriers to care for the African-American community and improving outcomes in the disease. In your experience, what would you say are some of the barriers to healthcare access for African-American myeloma patients? I think the first one is having easy, accessible, preventative measures in within the community itself. We know that healthcare is a costly process for patients. And so if we can minimize a lot of the pre-existing conditions that most people within our community already have before they're even diagnosed with a terminal illness, then that lessens the financial load. Uh, within that patient life as well. I think the three other major barriers come into the advocacy, the financial cost of healthcare, and realizing that health care is not only a business, it's also a service. So for me, all those things kind of blend together and they're interdependent on each other. And it creates a lot of issues for people within our community. When you look at advocacy, a lot of people don't have the understanding that they control their health care. They control their treatment plan. They control how they're diagnosed. They don't know about second opinions, for example, and how vital that is when you don't feel comfortable with the answers that you're receiving from the provider. They don't know how to advocate for a different provider if they can't get in for an appointment or they feel like they're just a number to that particular provider that they are seeing. And so that then leads into that financial cost because we know there's co-pays. And each time that you go, there's a, a cost associated with that. And so being able to manage the cost of health care for many people who may not have the financial stability or generational wealth that other communities have access to, be it stock funds, savings, and things of the emergency fund, it can become very stressful. And that then spills over to understanding that health care is a business, but it's also a service. 
So them not always having the understanding that if you go to a restaurant for a nice meal and, you know, you, you order and the order comes and the food either isn't uh, pleasing to you or the service isn't pleasing to you, most likely than not, you don't return back to that place for a meal again. And having that same mindset about healthcare is very important as well. If you're not being treated as a human being or a patient, then most people may choose either to not continue to go or they may continue to go at the detriment of themselves, meaning that the diagnosis is now prolonged or they may be misdiagnosed, which prolongs their treatment and things of that nature. So those, for me, those are the major barriers within our community. And I'm grateful that you guys are now uh, focusing and kind of helping people understand and, and take more control over their own health care. I think that's a really interesting analogy, the restaurant service one. I think it's really important for people to realize that, yes, they do have a voice in their own care. And finally, how have you been doing during the pandemic with all this isolation and how have you been coping with that? Well, for me, it was a little bit easier than others because I had to deal with some additional diseases that, you know, with the myeloma diagnosis and kind of some of the things that it impacted within my system. I had to go back out on disability again. So I uh, was less than I have to worry about, you know, going into an office and, you know, reporting to work every day. So it didn't impact me in that manner. But I did get impacted in a social manner, meaning that I didn't get an opportunity to interact and, you know, kind of have that fellowship with my family and friends. And I kind of need it <laughs> during this time. And so I took the time to focus on my mental health and my emotional health. And so I dove into therapy. And that was the beauty of telehealth medicine uh, being pushed a lot more than it was pre-pandemic. And so I had the ability to just go in front of a computer, you know, in my appointment time and, and have some talk therapy. And it led me to even dealing with uh, cognitive function issues as well uh, that I was dealing with. And I was able to focus on that. I naturally was uh, a little bit of struggle as well because it impacted my ability to kind of get out and do some things that would bring me some joy. You know, I'm trying to redevelop some hobbies. So it did kind of impact me in that way because I love going to the movies and some things like that and, you know, going out and shopping, <laughs> you know, or, or window shopping and things like that. But outside of that, it, it allowed me to really focus on my mental health and, and kind of get myself a little bit more healed emotionally as well. And finally, just going to wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners that I haven't touched upon? say that if the listeners could recognize and understand that there's a point that comes within um, survivorship when you no longer need your oncologist as much as you did when you were first diagnosed and you're really going through treatment for some people. And it's very important that you have that uh, continuity of care especially with your primary care doctor. And that when you're selecting and when you have your primary care doctor, it has to be someone that you have full confidence in. It has to be someone that you have a great relationship with from so many levels. And 
also, if they're not familiar with it, there is, I know here in Georgia, there is supportive care that's now connected to oncology. And they kind of help bridge that gap for me between the oncology team and your primary care. They're kind of blend of both worlds. And I wish that I had been introduced to that or that was around in the beginning of my diagnosis. I was diagnosed in 2004, so it doesn't look a few years that I've been a part of the myeloma community. And I really want them to be aware of that resource for their care because if they're like me, I didn't care for a lot of drugs. For my treatment to deal with pain and discomfort. I didn't recognize the benefit of the emotional toll that a uh, terminal illness can have for years to come in your life. And my supportive care team and Dr. Kirstie has been so vital for me in these recent years with multiple myeloma and also other conditions that are a result of multiple myeloma. So I would love for them to be engaged in that as their oncology team is available for them in their city and state um, and take advantage of it if they have access to it. And I would also say that your, I would like for them to know that your mindset and your mood is key component to your healing process. So knowing that you can become angered, depressed down because, again, the financial cost, uh, the emotional toll, the relationships that can be impacted uh, because of the diagnosis. But being able to find some type of positivity in the midst of it can be so helpful to the healing process. Being kind to yourself when uh, you as a young survivor uh, try to redevelop your outlook in life and your career path if you have to change the direction you have or re-entry back into the career field and having patience with the process of the healing process and uh, transitions that would occur and be empowered by knowing that you have full control to a certain extent over your care and your treatment is so important. Hold on to that. Know that if you're not comfortable in an appointment or with a provider, you have control over that. You can have that discussion with them, but if they still don't meet that need, you don't have to continue to see that provider. You can have that second and third or fourth opinion, you know, if it's necessary um, for you. And this journey of survivorship is a process where you learn as you go. Soak up as much as you can handle, but be okay if there's certain times in the journey to where you decide I need to stop for a moment. And that's with a support group if I need to take a break. Know that it's okay. You know, you can pace your own journey within this survivorship. But sometimes you also need to be a fast learner. And so that's where your support system and a support group can be beneficial to you. Because there's someone else who may know or experience, for instance, if you have issues with the disability process or applying for Social Security and being denied and things of that nature. So be open to rely on resources. Humble yourself sometimes. Um, again, if we're very independent people, then a lot of times it's difficult for us to be receivers and to accept help. But it could be 
little beneficial to you to be able to kind of break down their pride a little bit and uh, be open to uh, even if it's social services, to those programs that are available to you. I had to change my perspective a lot of times to say, especially when it came to government assistance, you know, my tax dollars when I work paid into the system, and now I'm just benefiting from something that I contributed to. When I changed my way of thinking, then that emotion kind of helped me to be a receiver of that support and that resource. And so I recommend that they uh, be open to that level of thinking and that perspective. And finally, just be open to understand that when it comes to decision-making, make sure you have a partnership with your care providers. Make sure that you have a care team that's specialize in that issue that you're experiencing. So we know we have oncologists for multiple myeloma, but, you know, once your remission and or your mental drug and disease has been brought under control, you may still deal with pain. Well, there are pain specialists. So be focused to deal with that. If you're dealing with issues with your heart or stress, then you have your psychiatrist and your behavior health specialist. So add them to your team. Uh, if you have a diet, digestive issues, issues with IBS and things like that, then uh, you can rely on a gastrologist. And so just know that your healthcare team may extend to multiple providers. But be open to know that it benefits you to have someone that's specialized with that specific issue that you're dealing with. And then again, go back to your primary care doctor, but that's why that relationship has to be very, very connected. And it has to be filled with trust because they need to help you to find all of those additional specialists that you need. And they can help you to monitor the things that they're recommending for you as well and to keep all of those things together. And I would end with interconnecting with that is having continuity of care, meaning that if you can have all of those specialists a part of one or two healthcare systems, then that benefits you because then your medical records are all in one place. So they can easily go into a system and see, okay, I saw this provided the other day and these are the labs I had and these are the results versus you having to then have those records sent to that provider. And I have found that to be so beneficial in my care, especially for new appointments when they can go on the system and they see my health history um, and it's easily available to them. So if you can have all of those things a part of your survival trip and your journey and your wellness and your healing process, I think you'll be able to have that mood that I talked about earlier, that positivity, which is so vital to your healing process, and you've been able to recover in a healthy way. It has just helped you be able to smile and have joy and find so many great things in the midst of all of the challenges that you're experiencing as a patient. Yeah, I think those are, are all really good insights, openness, patience, self-advocacy, and caring for the whole person mentally, emotionally, physically, all aspects of your care. I think all of your words are going to be very inspirational to our listeners. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your summer and stay cool down there in Atlanta. Thank you so much. It's been a joy, and I appreciate you guys offering this in the month of my loneliness. 
You've been listening to A Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. To learn more about the IMF or myeloma, visit us at myeloma.org.